Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is good to see you this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter 1, that shouldn't be hard to find. It's page 1 in your Bibles. While you're finding that, I'd like to extend a personal welcome to you beyond the video. It's good to see you here at Grace this morning. And if you're visiting us for the very first time, let me introduce myself. My name is Nathan, and I hope you do sit back and relax and enjoy your Sunday morning. If you didn't bring your Bible because you didn't know that was a thing, that's okay. You can just use your smartphone, type into your phone, into Google, type Genesis in the number one. I'll take you to a link. Follow along with us today. Just a warning, we're going to move around in our Bibles today. And so when I give you the next passage in the Bible, just type that one into Google too, and, and I'll take you to that next place as well. And next week, bring your Bible. It's just, it's easier that way. We're in this series that is, is pretty interesting because it's about interesting questions that, that, that come from studying the Bible. And that's what happens. When a Christian is encountered with the, the, the points that God makes in Scripture, and a Christian begins to, to boil them down in their brain and how, how it applies and, and what God is really saying, they begin to think deeply and they begin to come up with questions that they had never thought about before. And these questions take time to answer. These aren't questions just like where there's an easy yes or an easy no or just because God said so. It takes work to find the answers. And so what I hope you don't get from this series is, hey, let me think of the hardest question I can find and ask the pastor. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to think that. What I hope you do come to the conclusion of is that God does, in his Bible, provide answers that we are looking for. Now, sometimes it does take work. And sometimes it is difficult, and I know that's why you ask me. It's easier to ask me. You hope that I've already done the work for you, or I remember the conclusions that I came to when I did that work, or you want me to do the work for you when you come up with the question. But if you ask me a really hard question, I might say something like, well, what conclusions have you come to so far? Or what have you studied so far? Because that's my role. I want to help you understand the Bible better than you did yesterday. And the question for today is always a hot topic. It's about angels. We just sung about angels. It's about angels and demons and humans and God's relationship with all of them. Now, I don't know why this is such a hot topic, but it is. Here's the question. Why does God help humans but not angels? Why does God help humans but not angels? And this question came up after I preached a sermon about the angels' involvement in Jesus' birth. You know, there's a lot of angels there. The angel comes and tells Mary about what is about to happen, and then an angel comes and, and goes to Joseph and convinces him that, that it's going to all be okay. And then an angel announces to the shepherds about the birth of Jesus, and then there's a, a glorious uh, crowd of angels glorifying God at Jesus' birth. And so a Christian began to process what what was going on there, realizing that Jesus had been born to die for the sins of the world, the songs that we just sang. And they began to think deeper, but, but what, about, what about the angels? How come God doesn't help the angels? Do you understand the question? The question is, is how come God provides salvation for human beings who would otherwise, because of their own sin, who would otherwise end up in hell, why does God provide salvation for humans who would otherwise end up in hell? And he does not do that for fallen angels 
who would end up in hell? Now, that's a good question. Stop, stop it. Stop asking <laughs> good questions. And we've addressed topics like this before, and I don't know why this is such a hot topic, but it always seems to be, on, particularly on like in the Christian social media space right now, man, this supernatural stuff is prevalent. Um, uh, TikTok, YouTube, this demons and angels and human beings and God's interaction, all that is such a hot topic. And I think that's why the question always keeps coming up. But the Bible is the one that has answers. I'm not sure YouTube does, but the Bible is the one that has answers. And so we're going to go to the Bible today to answer this, this question. So the first thing that we need to do is look at the players here in the question. First player is God. Now, of course, here we are at church, and so we all know something, something about God, but he's a very important player because he is the one that created the humans. He is the one who created the angels, and he is the one that provides the salvation that is inferred in the question. So God is the first player in this, but humans are the next player in this, and that's why you've turned to Genesis chapter 1. God created humans on the sixth day of creation. This probably doesn't surprise you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us, referring to the Trinity, make man in our, the Trinity, image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, and they had dominion over the earth. And when the humans were first created, they, they were perfect. They did not sin. They had no propensity to sin. Could you imagine that? No desire to sin, none at all. The culture didn't help them sin. There was nobody that modeled sin for them. We as parents, we desperately hope that our kids don't fall into sin, but we accidentally, unintentionally model sin for our kids. No one modeled sin for Adam and Eve. There was no culture that was helping them sin. They were made completely perfect, so perfect, in fact, that they were never going to die. No death because of their holy perfection, but Adam and Eve were created with something that God didn't even have, and that was this thing called contrary choice. Adam and Eve, humans, could choose contrary to that holy perfection that they were created in. So they could choose differently than their nature. They didn't have to. They weren't required to. God didn't really secretly hope that they would, but they had the option to. Now, of course, you know what happened, Genesis chapter 3. Just turn your page over, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. They did that. They chose contrary to their nature, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, made, and he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the serpent we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not from, eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave 
to her husband, Adam, with her, and he ate, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They chose contrary to their nature. Now, God does not have that ability. God cannot choose contrary to his holiness. God cannot sin, but humans did. And the rest of chapter 3 is all about how the perfection of everything, the perfection of the universe, the perfection of the globe, the perfection of biology, the, the perfection of chemistry, all became subject to the curse of sin. Everyone did. The bodies of human beings became subject to sin. Even our own souls became subject to the curse of sin. That's what 1 Corinthians describes. In the New Testament, it just references what we've read about humans' relationship to God. It says, for since by a man came death. Well, what man was that? Adam. Let's blame Adam. All right. Sounds good. For since by a man came death. Now, that's interesting because God said, don't eat from that tree and you will die. Satan said, if you eat from the tree, you're not going to die. Did you know that there are Christians, well, I'll put Christians, who would say that Satan told the truth and God lied in the garden. Because when Eve and Adam ate from that fruit, did they die right there? Did they fall over dead? No. As a matter of fact, that's what Genesis 3 is all about. And then Genesis 4, they, they are still in the garden. Then God comes and talks to them. They're banished from the garden. They have children, and they continue to live. And so people, some people will say that God was the liar, and Satan is the one who told the truth. And yet, look around. Have you met someone who's 6,000 years old? Have you met anybody who's 6,000? There's nobody on earth who is 6,000 years old. And so that means Adam and Eve did die. They died. They weren't created to die. They weren't supposed to die. They were created in per, holy perfection. And yet their body became subject to the curse of sin, and just like everybody else's. And so that's what it's referring to. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection from the dead, referring to Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, and we do all die, not only physically, but our, our souls are cursed to what's called the second death or eternal death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's just not our, our body dying and going into the ground. That's, that's e eternity in a place called hell separated from God, eternal death. It says, for as in Adam all die, both of those kinds of death in hell and in the ground, so also in Christ all will be made alive. That's the song that we just sang. That's why Jesus was born, so that he would die on the cross for our sins. And anybody who puts their faith, their trust in this Jesus who was born in an infant, God in the flesh, lives a perfect life, never sins. Now, we've sinned. We've done things that we shouldn't have done and thought things we shouldn't have thought and said things that we probably shouldn't have said. Jesus never did. And so when he dies on the cross, he's dying for sin, but not for his own, for ours. And so any person who puts his faith in him, in Jesus, his death applies in that person's life. And any sin that has been the separator causing the second death is now gone. It's now paid for. And so now in Christ, we will live in heaven, not die eternally in hell. That's the wonderful story of the gospel. And so this is humans relationship to God. So now we're starting to learn the players in this question. God, we know God a little bit at least. We're in church. 
And now we know about humans. And then we come to the third character, the third player in this, the angels. Angels are created beings, just like humans are created beings, although humans and angels are different. They're not the same beings, they're different beings, but they were all created. This is what Colossians says about the creation of things that you can't even see, like angels. It says, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible like angels, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so this is the way that angels were created. They're created at creation. Angels aren't being created now. God didn't like start creation and then over time began to create more things. So angels were created at creation, and God is no longer creating angels. And so the number of angels is not increasing. The, the number of angels that exist or the number of angels that exist, he's not adding more angels to it. They don't, the, the number of angels doesn't fluctuate up. Now, unlike humans, angels are immortal. Angels are unable to die. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 20. So the, the number of angels doesn't fluctuate up because God isn't creating more angels. They're already created. But the number also doesn't fluctuate down because angels don't die. And it's kind of interesting because angels are a part of spiritual warfare, but they don't ever die. I had a really fun question from one of our Sunday school teachers one time. If you teach Sunday school or if you're in a small group or something and a question comes up in your group, Pastor Chuck and Pastor John and I, we'd be happy to help you answer the questions for people that are in your group. But I received this question from a Sunday school class. This is the kind of thing that happens to Christians, even kids, when they start to think deeply about the things that they're learning. And so here was the question that I got from the teacher that came from the kids. If Satan were to strike Archangel Michael with a sword, would he die? This must be boys. Boys ask good questions like that. If Satan were to strike the Archangel Michael with a sword, would he die? That's a great question. And the answer is no, because angels are immortal. Michael won't die, and Satan won't die either. And angels are ubiquitous in Scripture of the 66 books in the, in the Bible 33 books mention, reference, talk about angels. Angels are throughout the Bible. How many angels exist? Well, the Anaheim angels have a 40-man roster. So it's at least that. But we have a little more, slightly more clarity in Hebrews to give us the number of angels that exist. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. That's how many angels there are. Myriads. Innumerable amount of angels. Now, we know that there was a problem with angels. At least, uh, I'll give you a heads up, there was a problem with angels. And I'll get to that in a minute. So why then did God create angels in the first place? Well, the angels perform at least seven different types of work. And I would suspect that this is the reason why God created angels. First, they work in relationship to God. They worship him. 
they rejoice in his work, they execute his will, they work in relationship to God. Secondly, they're agents of revelation. In the Old Testament, it was angels that was the conduit for God's law coming to Moses, and that's why the angels are such lifted up, revered uh, beings in Judaism because of the angels' involvement in the giving of the law. But also Daniel uh, in the Old Testament, John in the New Testament all talk about angels bringing revelation to them. They also work in the life of Jesus. We've talked about their role in his birth, but there was angels' role in his birth, but also in his ministry, in his uh, resurrection, in his ascension, and there will be angel involvement in his second coming. There is angel work in the nations. Daniel reveals to us that the angels in some way influence world leaders. Angels work among non-Christians. They warn of judgment. They announce impending judgment if, um, if things are not changed, and then sometimes they even enact that judgment. They also work among Christians in almost an opposite way. They provide protective care. They guide Christians. The Bible even tells us that they celebrate in heaven when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Finally, that we know that in the future, there's also going to be work in the angel, of the angels during the tribulation and the judgments, but also they're going to be ones uh, binding Satan in the abyss and also gathering all the Jews together. These are at least seven of the works that the angels produce. And so I would suspect that this is why God created all of the angels. Now, it's a very important thing for our discussion today, particularly to understand the angels were also created with something that God doesn't have. The angels were also created with this thing called contrary choice. The angels could choose contrary to their nature because angels were created in perfection. They, they, they were created in holiness. And, and, and that was their nature, but they could choose contrary to that. They didn't have to. They weren't required to. God didn't say, I really hope that you do. But they could. And you know, probably, that they did that, which really leads to the fourth unmentioned player in the question. What about those angels that are not in heaven? Because the Bible tells us in Revelation that one-third of the angels chose contrary to their nature. Two-thirds remained in their nature in perfection in heaven, obedient to God, but one-third rebelled, followed their ringleader, another angel, Satan, followed Satan in their rebellion against God, and now we know those rebellious angels as demons, but they're just angels who rebelled. And then you wonder, well, how many demons are there? Well, you can easily do the math. What's one-third of a myriad? You do the math, that's how many demons there are. Innumerable. And so, because of their rebellion, they no longer live in heaven in perfection. They have been banished somewhere. Where have they been banished? Here. Earth. So that same Sunday school, the same Sunday school class that sent me that first question about uh, Michael the Archangel and Satan fighting it out with swords, they sent another question. Oh man, these are good. These are good. 
And it, again, if you lead a small group, if you lead a Barnabas group, or, or if you teach a Sunday school class and you have questions, the pastors, we'd love to help you answer the questions so you can guide and encourage and equip the people that you're leading. But this is the, the other question that that Sunday school teacher gave when these kids were encountered with these truths about angels. So the question is one that many adults ask. The question is, is then, why doesn't God just destroy Satan? Now, that's a good one. Why doesn't God just destroy Satan? Why does he allow evil to to just walk around, you know? These kids can even do the math. Well, if God can do that, then why doesn't he just destroy Satan? Well, we've already learned that Satan is immortal. He is never going to die. Angels don't die. And so Satan will never be killed in that sense. But we know the prophetic books of the Bible tell us that Jesus is going to send Satan to hell after this final battle of Armageddon. And so Satan is not going to die in some sort of physical sense, but he is going to be destroyed in hell. Not destroyed in death, but destroyed in hell for all of eternity. And so the real question, I think, in that, instead of why doesn't God just destroy Satan, what, what we're wondering is, well, why doesn't God do that now as opposed to later? Wouldn't it be better if God did it now? And the most pastorly answer that I have for that is, I don't know. I, I don't know. God thinks differently than we do. And he understands things differently than we do. And he organizes things differently than we do. I do know that evil in the world is one thing that brings people to a need of Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. If, if there was no evil in the world, if Satan and his demons had already been banished to hell and there was no evil in the world, why would humans need Jesus or a Savior? And so I don't know all the answers to that. I just know that God allows it even though he, doesn't, he didn't create it. Now, one final interesting or important note regarding angels and their contrary choice. Angels are no longer rebelling or getting saved. You know, They are sealed in their choice that they made the choice, they were given that contrary choice for a period, but now they, they're locked in, as they say. The, the angels in heaven do not even, they don't have the ability, even if they wanted to, they don't even want to, they're in perfection and holiness. They are unable to rebel against God. And also, those angels that did choose to rebel, they are unable to un-rebel and go back up and live in heaven and live in perfection and holiness. They're sealed currently in the choice that they had made. Now, maybe you're beginning to hazily see some answers to this question about why does God help humans but not angels. Okay, so now we've been wading into the water, right? Let's, uh, we're we're going to go deep, okay? So moving your Bibles now to Hebrews, to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 2. Now that our brains are kind of thinking the things that we need to be thinking biblically about God and angels and and humans, let's look at this from a completely other angle in 
the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is, is written to Christians, but they weren't always Christians. They grew up in Judaism, and they had gotten saved. And so Hebrews is all about how Jesus is superior to everything that they grew up with. Hebrews is about how Jesus is superior to everything that is revered in the Old Testament. Let's read Hebrews 2, verses 5 to 9, and then we're going to unpack it kind of backwards a little bit. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. For he, that's God, did not subject to angels. Aha, uh-huh, okay, so we're in the same world, angels and God, humans. For he, God, did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him a little, for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all the things that are subjected to him, but we do, but, but we do see him, capital him, that's Jesus, who made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Okay, let's stop right there for a minute. Okay, remember, Hebrews is written to Christians, but they weren't always Christians. They were, grew up in Judaism, and they revered these things in the Old Testament as they were growing up. The, the three highest revered items for, the, for Judaism are, one, the angels. It's our topic for today. And the reason that the angels are so revered is because, like I said, they're the conduit of God to Moses in delivering the law. And so to Jews, the angels are revered in Judaism. Secondly, Moses is revered in Judaism because he was the receiver from that conduit of God's law. He was the one that set the, their ancestors free from Egypt, led them to the promised land. So we have angels are revered, Moses is revered, and the priests, the Levitical priesthood. The, the priests were the ones that enacted the law. The book of Leviticus in the Old Testament was written to the Levites who were the priests who enacted God's law, who put God's law into, into reverent practice. And so these three, the angels and Moses and the priesthood, were all revered. And the, point, the whole point of, of Hebrews is Jesus is greater than all of them. As great as they are, there's nothing wrong with them, but as great as they are, Jesus is superior to all of them. And chapters 1 and 2 is about how Jesus is superior to the angels. Remember, that's our topic. Why is this whole thing about Jesus not not providing for the angels, but him providing for humans? So this, chapters 1 and 2 are all about the angels, how Jesus has appeared to the angels. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. Hebrews 1, verse 4. Having become as much better than the angels, he has inherited a more excellent name than they referring to Jesus and the angels. Verse 5, 
For to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be my son. The question is, is to what angel did God ever say, you're my son? And the answer is none. There was no angel that God ever said that to. Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior to the angels. Look at verse uh, six, keep reading. And when he again begins to... Uh, brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let the angels of God worship him. The angels are worshiping Jesus. Jesus is not worshiping the angels. The angels are worshiping Jesus. Jesus is superior. Keep reading, verse 8. But of the, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. What angel is on the throne? That's a, what angel has ever sat on the throne? What angel will ever sit on the throne? And the answer is none. But Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is superior to the angels. Let's keep reading. Verse 13 of Hebrews 1. But to which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? To what angel did God ever say, sit at my right hand? None. But to Jesus, he said that Jesus is superior to the angels. You could see the math that the author is doing for the people that so revere the angels. There's nothing wrong with the angels. Nothing bad, nothing evil here. God God provided them. But Jesus is superior. In another way, look at verse 14 of Hebrews 1. Are they not they, referring to angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Now, isn't that interesting? That actually, angels are even servants, they're even lower than another group. They're lower than these people who will inherit salvation. Who is that? That's humans. That angels are the ones who who serve the humans. They didn't provide salvation for the humans. Jesus provided salvation for them. And now the angels are even lower than them, serving those people who are inherit the salvation that Jesus brought. So, So the author is giving all of these reasons why Jesus is superior. This really isn't about humans. This really isn't about angels. It's about Jesus and his superiority, but he uses these things that they've revered. And he goes to this math in another level in chapter 2. We've already read chapter 2. Let's read it again. Chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, for God did not subject the angel to the angels, the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him a little for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of the hands. You have put it, put all things in subjection under his feet for in subjection and subjecting all things to him. He left nothing that is not subjected to him, but now we do not yet see all that is subjected to him. But, verse 9, we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering and death and crown and glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 
Okay, Jesus is far more superior than the angels. And he's done the math in a lot of different areas about the king and the throne and the scepter and and sit at my right hand and angels are servants of humans, but he's already provided salvation for the humans. And now he begins to make this this math in another way. Let me tell you what the math is here, and then I'll show it to you, because this does get pretty deep. Okay. The author's point here is that the Redeemer is greater than the redeemed. That's the main point. The Redeemer is greater than the redeemed. We can understand that, that that Jesus is greater than humans. The, The Redeemer is greater than the redeemed. However, the redeemed are greater than those who were not redeemed. That's the math. Jesus being the redeemer, humans being those that are redeemed, that have, that have received this wonderful gift, this amazing gift that have, have, has been given by God, they are greater because of the receipt of that provision than those who have not received the the provision from God, which would be angels. And the whole math in this is that Jesus is greater than the angels. That's the math. But humans are mixed into the math in this section. Look back at verse uh, verse, uh, 5 of chapter 2. It says, For he, that's God, did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. Angels are servants. They are not going to be rulers. That's what he's saying here. That the the world is not subjected to the angels. The angels will not rule. They are not the rulers. Angels were never intended to be the rulers. They're merely servants that are serving those who are ruling. This is referring to the future in the messianic kingdom when people will rule with Jesus Christ, but not the angels. The angels won't rule. Humans will rule with Christ. Now, though, but what about before the Messianic kingdom? Look at verse 6. But one has testified somewhere, saying, <laughs> what does he mean somewhere? Well, look in you, probably if you look in your Bible, verses 6, 7, and 8, maybe are they like indented or all capitalized or um, italicized or something like that in your Bible? You see that? Okay. What that means is is that's referencing an Old Testament passage. And this is referencing Psalm chapter 8. Now, Psalm chapter 8 is a great, don't turn there now because we don't have time to go to, but read it this afternoon. Psalm chapter 8 is all about um, God being the enormous creator of the entire universe and the author of it contemplating the fact that Humans are just a speck. Humans are just a speck of nothing compared to the grandeur of God. How could human beings be any more than just a speck? But, the, but in, in Psalm, the conclusion is there's a reason that humans are more than just a speck. The reason is, is because what God has provided to those humans That is what makes them valuable is because of the provision that God has given them. Well, what provision has God given humans that he has not given angels? Well, we keep reading in verse 6. 
But one has testified somewhere, meaning the psalmist, saying, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You can see his math, like how is it there that there's any value to humanity at all? Verse 7 says, you have made him for a little while lower than the angels. That phrase lower than the angels is not a value statement. He's not saying that the value of the human beings are lower, that in this hierarchy that first it's Jesus and then it's angels and then it's humans. He's saying it's a, it's a location statement. It's not a, it's not a value statement. It's a location statement. That humans are relegated to planet Earth. That gravity has a hold of on, on us. That we can't teletransport from here to, to heaven and back. We don't have immediate access to the throne of God. And so, as it says, for a little while, human beings are lower than the angels because we are, we are sucked onto this planet Earth. But as soon as Adam goes to heaven, he is going to be greater than the angels. Now, why is that? Well, let's keep reading. It tells us of the value that, that, that humans are, not because there's anything intrinsically valuable in us at all, but because of what God has given human beings. Now, we've already read it in Genesis chapter 1. It's dominion of the world, okay? You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him, that's human, mankind, over the works of your hands. We read that in Genesis chapter 1. You're, we were wondering, why are we reading Genesis 1? Because we already know it. Because here in Hebrews, it's just confirming that dominion of the world was given by God to human beings. Not to angels, that's the point. Not to angels, but to human beings. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. But the, and now right there at the, at like verse eight in the middle, you can see in your Bibles how the italicized stops, the capital stop, the indenting stops. And now the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives some like commentary because he knows his readers are gonna do the math. The reader's gonna be, yeah, but we don't have dominion over the world. Satan is the ruler of the, we don't have dominion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at, keep reading in verse eight. For in subjection, in subjecting all things to him as God gave everything to man, he left nothing that was not subjected to man on this globe that he created. This is what gives value to humans, not that they're valuable, but that they can dominate the dominion over the world. God gave that to them. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Man lost the dominion. Genesis chapter 3, you read it. When, when sin entered into the world, I mean, it, 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 it cursed everything, including mankind's dominion in the world. And the author, through the Holy Spirit, is just saying, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it that you don't see the dominion right now. God gave it to you at the beginning. You lost it, dummies, at page three. And now here we are. We don't have that dominion right now. Ah, but verse 9, verse 9, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because the suffering of his death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Man's promised dominion of the world has not been realized yet. 
Adam and Eve had dominion of the world for <laughs> chapter 2. <laughs> however long, we don't know how long that was, but however long that was, that's how long the do- man's dominion of the world that God gave mankind, that's how long they had it. And, and since then, we have not had that dominion. So we don't see all things, as it says, under humans' feet, under our dominion. But when Jesus died on the cross, he regained that dominion, not for himself, but for mankind. And we are going to see that dominion in the millennial kingdom when we do, we do have dominion with Jesus Christ. That's what it's referring to in verse 5, that he did not subject to the angels the world to come. In the messianic kingdom, in the world to come, The angels are not going to have dominion. Who's going to have dominion? Humans are going to have dominion. And why are humans going to have dominion? Because of the Redeemer is greater than the redeemed. But he has given redemption to humans, but he has not given that redemption to angels. And so the Redeemer is greater than humans. Jesus is greater than humans. But humans, because they are the rulers... Angels aren't. Nowhere in the Bible are angels the rulers. They are the servants. They're not the rulers. But in Psalm and now in here in Hebrews, it will be the humans that are the rulers given by the Redeemer. And, And the angels don't have that. And so the math in Hebrews is Jesus is greater than the angels. There's a lot of math. But Jesus is greater than the angels because of the redemption that he provides to human beings, and they will have the dominion that God has always given them. There's a value to humans that there is not. To, not that angels are immoral or devalued. The point in this is that angels are different than humans. Angels are a creation. Humans are a creation. They are two different creations. And so notice it says in verse 9 that we do see him who is made for a little while lower the angels. This is referring to Jesus. Now, of course, we know that Jesus is far superior to the angels, and so obviously this is not a value judgment on Jesus. This is a location judgment on Jesus. When Jesus was born in that manger, he was now, he, he now dealing with gravity too. He can't teleport to heaven anymore either. He doesn't have direct access to the throne of God like the angels do. So for that little while, while he was here on planet Earth, he was lower than the angels. Location statement, not a value statement. But it was not going to be that very long, is it? Because, of course, when he ascends back into heaven, he is going to regain all of those abilities, and he will be much greater than the angels. Now, finally, verse 10 more about why Jesus is far superior than the angels, verse 10. It says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. This is why Jesus, the Messiah, was born and why he had to die. He came to provide salvation to fallen man. Mankind, bypassing the angels to mankind. Now, why bypass the angels for salvation and only bring it to, 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 to mankind? Why, why, 
Why only bring it to man? Only bring sons to glory and not angels to glory as well? That's the question. <laughs> Why does God help humans and not angels? Well, because angels can't get saved. They can't unrebel. They are sealed in the decision that they've made. They, they, they can't undo it. They are eternally, prophetically destined for eternity in eternal hell, eternal death. They'll, they'll, they'll be there forever in eternity. The, the angels that are in heaven, they don't need salvation. They, they, they're perfect and holy. They don't need salvation. And so Jesus didn't die for the ones that are in heaven because they don't need salvation. He didn't die for the ones that are here on earth because they cannot get saved. They are unable to change the state, the nature that they are in. And so that's why he came and he died for people. Angels can't not sin or angels can't start to sin. Angels aren't people. People aren't angels. People never become angels. Even after they die, they are different creations. And so therefore, when Jesus came to die on the cross, he came and he died as a person. When he was in that manger, he, uh, he, he wasn't an angel in that manger. He was a human. And when he died on the cross, it wasn't an angel on the cross. It was Jesus on the cross, a human. And so he is providing for salvation for humans, not for angels. And obviously the ultimate conclusion is this in John 3. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And he who believes in him is not judged. But he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know what's interesting about all this is that as, as angels are sealed in their decision, that they, they no longer have contrary thought to their nature. They are either sealed in their nature in perfection in heaven or they're sealed in their nature of rebellious against God on earth. But they're sealed. God doesn't have contrary nature. He can't choose contrary to, your, to our nature. But you know what John 3 tells us? That humans can choose contrary to their nature. And that is such a wonderful story. That here we are, born in sin. It all came from, we can blame Adam, but we know we're born in sin and we proved it the first time we did. <laughs> and all of us, the Bible says all of sin, every person in here, Every single one of us has done something we shouldn't have done, said something we shouldn't have said, thought something we shouldn't have thought. There are none righteous, the Bible says, no, not one. And you know, if, if that's our nature, and if we were sealed in that nature, then we would there would be no hope for humanity at all. However, humans still have contrary, contrary choice. Humans can still choose contrary to, the, to this sin that lives inside of them, to the nature that, that, that we own from Adam, we can choose contrary. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. He died for your sins. So that if you put your faith and trust in him, his death applies in your life. And so that then when you die, 
you go to heaven in eternal life, not eternal death. And that's because of Jesus' death applying in, in forgiving your sins, removing the sins from you as far as the east is from the west. So now maybe you know a little bit more about God and the angels and, and humans, but maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. So I want to give you at least the opportunity to talk to God about these things. And so I'm going to ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute? Nothing else is going to happen here for just a minute. Even if you already know that you're going to heaven, just give the person next to you a chance to, to consider these things. If, if you know that you need a Savior, if you, if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you've believed these things, you can talk to God right now about this. You can, you can have salvation from your sin today. That's why Jesus was born, and that's why he died. And so we're going to talk to God here. It's called prayer. You don't need to say anything out loud. God knows what's on your mind. He can read your heart. So talk to God in your heart in this, in this area. But if you need to be saved, if you need a Savior, this is what you would say to God. You could say, God, I know that I've sinned. And, and I know that I've done things I shouldn't have done, and I know that I've thought things I shouldn't have thought, and I realize that there's an eternal judgment for that. And, and I realize that I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus is that Savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead to prove that he is God and he can wash my sin away. I put my personal faith and trust in this Jesus. Well, dear God, we thank you for your provision here. We thank you for your provision of your son when he was born on Christmas Day. We thank you for your provision in his death on the cross. We thank you for you giving um, these specks on a miraculously created earth, these specks that, that we know we have no comparison to you, that you gave us this redemption. You gave us something that we certainly don't deserve and we couldn't have earned on our own. And that's why we praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen.